Shabbat Shalom. We are in the season of Pentecost, and this is the season of freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And so today I want to talk about your spiritual advisor. Life is complicated. Amen? It's replete with challenges, trials, tribulations. It's hard. Question is, is how are we going to navigate our way through life? How will we overcome its difficulties? Jesus gives to his followers the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let's go ahead and bring me down just a little bit. I'm running a little hot here, so no pun intended. Aren't you glad we're in the mornings? Yeah. Oh my gosh, today would be a baker in the afternoon. So praise God for that. So God, God has given us through his son the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the superlative personal advocate, advisor, counselor, guardian, guide for our lives. Think about that for a moment. A personal, spiritual advisor. I mean, life is hard. It's so, it's so complex. I don't know how people make it through life. Actually, they don't. A lot of people just don't make it through life. It's hard. But with the Holy Spirit, a personal advocate, advisor, guardian, man, we can do this with flying colors. With the Holy Spirit, we will immediately begin to overcome this world and experience life abundant, filled with blessing, filled with meaning and purpose. Not, not without hardship, not without trials and tribulations, but in the midst of that, we'll experience the abundant life. In the midst of those trials, we can have that peace and the joy that passes understanding. It's the very thing that can bring us through all these difficulties that we face. This life that we have, it's indestructible. And it will grow in blessings now and for all eternity. So let's discover how to relate to and grow in our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2, 38 and 39. This is the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit's been poured out. All kinds of stuff going on. All kinds of supernatural things, right? And then Peter preaches the gospel. And there's a multitude of people there. And they're basically saying, hey, you know, how do we get right with God? You know, how do we do this? And Peter said to them, repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Man, I don't know of any greater gift than forgiveness. I don't know about you, but I've done some things in my life that brought a lot of guilt and a lot of shame. And to have that forgiveness from God, that cleansing from God, I mean, that is just like invaluable. You couldn't there's no amount of money you could pay for that. That is such a great gift, the forgiveness of our sins. It says, in addition to that, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise, the promise of the gift, the promise that God would grant us his dwelling presence, 
God in us. This is the greatest gift that anyone could ever receive. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. This promise is for you and your children and for everyone else around the globe. We just immersed three of the Maze clan. Yeah, this promise is for who? For you and your children. We are seeing children being baptized. Josiah, his mom's here, witnessing his immersion into Messiah. You know, we get to see the unfolding of the plan of redemption. We get to participate in that. Not only do we taste and, and, and get to experience that, we get to see others jump into that as well. This is such an amazing gift that God has given to us. It says, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. So the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is given to us as a gift. The Holy Spirit comes to help us. In fact, the, the, the main adjective here that qualifies the person of the Holy Spirit in terms of function and work is the word helper. Anyone need some help in life? Yeah. 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 You know, God gave me a helpmate. Oh my gosh. I, I, I wake up every day and I think to myself, what would my life be without Don? Oh man, I need so much help. But in, in addition, and even greater than that, is the agency, the person, and work of the Holy Spirit given to each and every one of us to help us. Amazing. No matter what it is you're going through, no matter what it is you're facing, no matter what your struggle is, no matter what your sin is, the Holy Spirit's right there, right next to you, in you, ready to help you. Not to hurt you, not to shame you, but to help you. The Holy Spirit is our helper. It says in John 14, verse 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Parakletos is the Greek word that we translate helper. The Holy Spirit, if you want to think of the Holy Spirit in these terms, and, and I just want to say, I've already said this, you can go back and look at some of the teachings I've, I've done on this. Uh, the Greek word spirit is neuter. It's not assigned gender, neither male nor female. Those are the Greek translations. But the Greek New Testament has got an antecedent theology. It's the Old Testament, the Tanakh, the Hebrew Bible. And the word for spirit in the Hebrew Bible is, new, or is in uh, a feminine gender. Ruach, it's feminine. It represents the feminine attributes of God. God has both masculine and feminine attributes. We're made in the image of God. And in the image of God, we've been made what? Male and female. Masculine, feminine. Man, woman. And so we have the feminine attributes of God represented in the Holy Spirit. If the Greek translators wanted to follow the antecedent theology that's already laid out in the Bible... They could have assigned she instead of he. But those times were so patriarchal that the translators, you know, they did what they did. But I wish they would have put she. It, it reads so much better, but I'm just going to follow what we have in our translations. 
the helper of the Holy Spirit, when the Father, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said. The Holy Spirit is an intimate friend. Think of the Holy Spirit as, as God being our friend, our intimate friend who has come to help us in life, a friend we can confide in, a friend that we can trust, a friend that we can give our lives to, who advises us, who, who fights on our behalf, advocates for us. A lot of spiritual warfare going on. You know, I'll tell you what, we did immersions. We had so many things go wrong in our service. And, and the staff, we know those a lot better because we know what to look for. You may not have caught what was going on, but we had a lot of things just happening. I, I, I laughed inside. I said, yep, we have these emergence. Of course, there's going to be pushback from the enemy's camp. And so you have the different things that kind of go on. That's just the enemy trying to crash our party, right? Praise God. So uh, anyway, the Holy Spirit comes to advocate on our behalf, to fight on our behalf, to guide us through life, helping us make the right decisions, covering us when we make the wrong decision, assisting us, empowering us to give us courage to face our giants. Now, in addition to this, uh, one of the other functions that's a main function, primary purpose of the Holy Spirit, is to be our teacher, our teacher, not just a nurturer, not just a friend, but a teacher, a teacher par excellence. This makes sense when you think of the biblical text. The biblical text is unlike any other text. It's different from any other book ever written. This text that we have is spiritual. So it's not like a text in mathematics or geology or cosmology. It's a spiritual text. And this is important for us to, to understand. Because it's spiritual, you can't just read it and understand its meaning. You have to have a spiritual apparatus to understand a spiritual text. And that's one of the reasons the Holy Spirit is given to us, so that we can actually understand the Word of God, which actually has wisdom and truths that are hidden, obscured, mysteries that can only be revealed by the agency of the Holy Spirit. That's why you can have unbelievers read the Bible and never really understand. You know, they just, they just, they don't even get it. Most people are not even interested because they don't even have a spiritual capacity to even desire to look into it. So God has given to those who believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit, in order to understand the revelation of the biblical text. 2 Corinthians 1 through 16. I'm just going to read down through this. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom. This is Paul speaking. Proclaiming to you the testimony of God, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in pervasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are passing away, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. We speak of the wisdom of the ages, things that this world doesn't even understand, the rulers who are highly educated do not understand. This is what we speak, and we speak it in a way that's hidden. We speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages 
to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. You can have a PhD and not understand the biblical text because without the agency of the Holy Spirit, it's just black ink on white pages. If they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory, but just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of a man, all that God has prepared for, for those who love him. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. How do you understand the Word of God? It's the Spirit that illuminates your mind, opens up your understanding, helps you to comprehend so that you can grasp the wisdom of God for living life successfully in the here and now. Verse 12, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. The person who's not born again doesn't even have the apparatus to understand and accept the things of God. It's only by the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God is only given to those who believe in Jesus. The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. They're spiritually discerned. It takes a spiritual being and the help of the Holy Spirit to understand spiritual truths, the very truths that undergird the design of the universe. All of the universe, the natural realm, bows to the creator who made them and to the laws that govern them, both natural laws and supernatural laws. This is why we need the Holy Spirit. Verse 15, but he who is spiritual, everyone in Christ, everyone in Messiah, is born again. We're spiritual beings. We're born from above. Every one of us, we have the ability through the Holy Spirit to understand the words of God, the meaning of life, our purpose, who we are, who God is, the age to come. We're the ones that really understand what is real and what is false. This has been given to us through the gift of the Holy Spirit. I've had 44 years of disciplined study of the biblical text under the tutelage of the Holy Spirit and many other Spirit-filled teachers in the body of Messiah. 44 years. And like the prophet Ezra, I too set my heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances to those who believe. That's the Hebraic model. Study in order to do, and then teach. Versus study and then teach. Why is it important to practice what you learn? Because when you go from the boardroom to the field, right? From the chalkboard out into the real-life scenarios. When you actually live what you're learning, you learn more there than you ever do in a textbook or in a classroom. 
And so I learned this a long time ago. The purpose of study is to apply it. If there's no application, save yourself the time and energy. The idea is study in order to do what you're learning, make sure you're doing. Because if you're not doing it, the little that you have, the little understanding that you have will be taken away as well. God requires us to apply what we're learning. And that's what Ezra did. And that's what I learned to do a long time ago. And as a result, God will give you so much wealth, so much wisdom, so much understanding. Not only will you have your breakthroughs and learn to overcome and learn to live successfully according to God's design, you're going to be able to help a lot of people around you. And that's part of what God has called us to do, is to help those around us also discover what we're learning and discovering in this journey of life in Messiah. The next thing the Holy Spirit does is he comes to testify about Jesus. John 15, 26. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth. Say after me, the Spirit of truth. When I think of the Holy Spirit, I always think of the adjective that qualifies the word spirit, which is a noun. Holy. The Spirit of God is qualified most often, or in most instances, by the word holy. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given to us to make us holy, to help us step into holiness. It's the Holy Spirit that comes to us. In addition to the Holy Spirit, it's also called the Spirit of Truth. Now, how popular is truth today? It is not. It is not PC to speak the truth. No one wants the truth. If you speak the truth, you'll be censored. You'll be silenced. That's the age that we live in. It's the age of, of deception, of lies. It's the work of the enemy to create confusion and chaos. God forbid that there'd be any truth. Not under the rule and reign of the serpent. It's all about deception and lies. But God has given to us the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. He will testify about me, and you will testify also, because you have been with me from the beginning. The Holy Spirit testifies about Jesus, speaks to us about Jesus, speaks to us through the text, through our friends, about who Jesus is, and then we're invited to testify about Jesus, to give witness concerning Jesus. And what do we share? We share what the Lord has done in our life personally, Every one of us, we have personal stories, answers to prayers, how Jesus has changed our lives. That's what we get to give testimony about, what he's done in our lives. This is how we advance the kingdom. The Holy Spirit guides us into all truth. He reveals and discloses to us the things that are still coming. John 16, 13. But he, the spirit of truth, comes, but, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. Again, the spirit of God reveals truth. Truth is what is real. It's what is true. It's the opposite of a falsehood. 
or deception. There's a lot of falsehoods today. A lot of falsehoods concerning who God is or who we are, right, as human beings or the sacredness of human life. Think of sexuality and all of the falsehoods related to that. Marriage, family, education, the falsehoods in government today, right? Politics, falsehoods concerning money and wealth, finances. God has a lot to say about that. Economics, ecology, our environment, and how we are to handle that and be stewards over that. What about health? Is there a lot of falsehoods concerning health? I don't even want to talk about coronavirus. Other than to say a lot of falsehoods surrounding a lot of the spin on the virus and the vaccine. No honest dialogue. No room for debate. Just an agenda to present something that in the end may not be true. God has a lot to say about health and dietary issues. Are dietary issues important? Oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Many of our chronic illnesses are a result of our dietary choices in life. God has a lot to say about that. What about private property? What about state and national borders and boundaries? God has a lot to say about that. God has a lot to say about almost everything. And he's come to reveal truth in all of those sectors. And we get to be the presenters of those truths so that we can be stoned. Just joking. <laughs> you know that's what they want to do, right? So, but we're, but we're called to be bearers of truth. And of course, to do that with compassion and grace and to do that with gentleness. It's not a battering ram to hurt anybody but actually a light to give to those that are ready so they can step into the light and out of the darkness. Our world is in darkness, chaos, and confusion. Even our great institutions are in a stupor of confusion. One current example of this is Katanji Brown-Jackson in her answer to the question of defining the word woman. Now, she is our recently confirmed nominee to the Supreme Court of the United States. She has a doctor of jurisprudence from Harvard University. And with this Ivy League education, you would think that she could define what a woman is. But when asked by Senator Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee, quote, can you provide a definition for the word woman? Jackson, appearing confused, responded, I'm not a biologist. Now think about that for a moment. The answer from a person who has a doctor of jurisprudence from an Ivy League institution responds with, I'm not a biologist. Can't answer that. Think about that. You would think that she would have the knowledge to define what a woman is, I'm not sure what these Ivy League universities are using as a standard for what truth is, but clearly they have departed from the laws of nature and nature's God. 
That's code in our constitution for the Bible and the natural record. Natural record being, being creation and what we can observe and discern from that. But her answer does raise one of the obvious fundamental tools in defining what a woman is. Biology. She's right. She, I'm, she implied if she was a biologist, she could answer, and I think she's right. I think biology, it's one of the hard sciences, actually has some answers for us to this definition. In fact, I think biology has done a great job in answering this question of what a woman is. The biological terms man-woman, boy-girl, male-female, are well-defined in biology. Now, let's look at another source of truth outside of biology. Let's look at another source of truth for our answer as to, who, or, or as to what a woman is. Let's look to the Bible. The earliest reference to the definition of a woman is found in the first chapter of the scriptures, Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Male and female certainly have, as a foundation to their definitions, the biological ability to naturally reproduce. Two men in union cannot reproduce a human being. Two women in union cannot produce a human being. It takes a male, a biological male, and a biological female. This is the design of God. This is why we need God's word. If we want to understand reality, what is real, what is true, we need the word of God in addition to the sciences. Reproduction 101 gives us a fundamental part of this definition. Genesis 2, 18 through 23. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. So God's going to make a helper suitable to Adam. A corresponding helper one who's biologically and spiritually suited for him. Masculine and feminine attributes suited to fulfill the plan of procreating and establishing families, communities, in order to govern the world that God has given to us. Now, there are some very painful challenges for those who suffer from disorders of sexual development called DSDs. These are very rare with the help of a family doctor, pastor, rabbi, a faith community, and these disorders can be met and addressed with compassion. But generally speaking, the definitions of male and female and the design of God, sexuality and gender, we have that sorted out for us already in the b- biblical text. In summary, as a core part of the definition of a woman, we could say that a woman is a human being made in the image of God carries the status of a God imager, same and equal to Adam, both of them fully equal, sharing in fully the image of God. One is a male and one is a female. 
This is very important for us to understand. This is foundation, a foundational answer to the definition of what a woman is. It goes on to say that God made her from Adam's rib. Verse 21, so the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. When he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place, the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought to her the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Both God and Adam came up with this idea of what her name would be. Woman. She was taken from Adam. She's fully in the image of God. Fully human, equal, co-equal with Adam in human nature, in human status, in the status of a God imager. They exist together in a complementary way, fitted for one another in order to represent God and also procreate and fill the earth. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This is the first text where we find this idea or, or uh, term, woman. And again, we're seeing that in relationship to human essence, the sacredness of being a human being in the image of God, both co-equal in that status. Neither Adam or Eve got to choose their sex, their biology, or gender. That was assigned by nature itself, manifested at birth. Except in those rare occurrences that are very rare, generally speaking, that is assigned at birth. In conception, all that comes as a natural process. Male or female, man or woman, boy or girl, with the ability, the potential to come together in marriage and procreate in the image of God. Again, except in those very rare cases of DSDs, to change your biology, your sex, or your gender is to invite confusion, chaos, misery, and ultimately death. Embracing your biological sex and associated gender is one of your paths to wholeness, health, and happiness. We need to come back to the hard sciences. We need to come back to the biblical text and understand who we are, what it means to be human, what our sexuality is, what God's design for that is, and re-embrace that. Come back to a place of clarity and sanity so that we can enjoy the peace and happiness that comes through embracing the truth. I'm going to close with this. John 8, 31. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Get in the word, know the word, encounter the truth and embrace it. And as you do, it will set your heart free. You will find your footing. You will stumble into that peace and that joy of the design of God for you. The Holy Spirit, again, is your spiritual advisor, teacher, and guide. You have everything you need with the Holy Spirit to overcome in this life and to find your way 
to living a life full of success, peace, and joy in the midst of all the craziness. So foster your relationship with the Holy Spirit. Pray daily. Study God's Word. Get some quiet time going on where you can listen to what the Spirit of God is saying to you. Ask the Holy Spirit questions. Bring your dilemmas. Bring your problems. Bring your challenges. Bring your giants. And ask the Holy Spirit, what do I do? How do I do this? And wait on the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you to a place of victory in your life. And remember always, you are never alone. The Holy Spirit, God, is within you.